Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Our series focuses in on the fact that Paul is trying to help a young church of young Christians to live the Christian faith in a real way. And invariably, when you deal with trying to live the Christian life in a real way, you you will come around in the conversation at some point to the question, how can you live the Christian life and be happy? Now, uh, from time to time, you'll have some folks who will answer that question with, and I've even done this myself, although uh, I kind of flinch back from this a little bit. They say, well, God has not necessarily called us to be happy. He's called us to be holy. Well, that's true. But, you know, I think sometimes God also would like for us to be happy. It's more important to him that we be holy than happy. Let's just go ahead and agree on that. But it's hard to live this life if you don't ever feel happiness. Let's admit that, too. Paul, in his final chapter in this letter... And keep in mind, he he has defended his own integrity against false accusation. He's dealt with uh, uh, what happens to the dead who die in Christ. He's going to, uh, in one final uh, message that we'll deal with next Sunday morning, he deals with, is the Lord coming back or is He not coming back? He deals with a lot of things. And in this chapter, chapter 5, the final verses, he it's almost like he, he, he is running out of time, and so he is one right after another throwing out these things that really make for what I'm calling Christian happiness. Beginning with verse 12, he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this... Is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What does it take within the realm of the Christian life? What does it take to live a relatively happy life? Title of the message is Eat, Pray, Love. It was the title of a book that came out in 2006 that was then. made in a film, started Julia Roberts. I'd never seen, I had never read the book and I have not, had not seen the film. Uh, although 
a portion of it, ironically, was on television yesterday and I saw parts of it, but I'd never seen the movie. But when I thought about the title of the movie, Eat, Pray, Love, it sounded like some of the same uh, rattling off of ideas that Paul does, except Paul does it more extensively and certainly better than just eat, pray, love. But they sounded a lot alike to me. Eat, pray, love, the book is subtitled One Woman's Search for Everything Across Italy, India, and Indonesia. It's by American author Elizabeth Gilbert. In that book, she chronicles her own trips around the world, really in search of happiness. She's recently... At the time she wrote the book, she was recently uh, divorced, and she was trying to find happiness and meaning in her life. That book stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for 187 straight weeks. Now, as I said this morning, when a book stays on the New York Times bestseller list that many weeks in a row, whether we like the book or not, and I, I do not like some of the conclusions that she draws in the book, but whether we like it or not, It is a book that is scratching an itch that a lot of people have, and that is they're looking for some semblance of happiness in this life. The title of the book and also the title of the movie, Eat, Pray, Love, charts the three places she visited in her travels. First, she spent several months in Italy where she learned how, how good food and seating, seated, being seated around a table with people who care about you and that you care about, how that adds to, contributes to your happiness. Eat. Then she went down to India and she started meditating and learning how to pray. It was, of course, it was Hindu prayers. And this is one of the, one of the areas where I t- totally disagree with her conclusions. Not the conclusion that prayer is certainly contributive to one's happiness, but I don't believe that Hindu prayer helps at all. It's like, it'd be like somebody saying, you need to gain a whole bunch of weight, and then they put you on a water diet. I mean, there's just nothing there to work with. But there's the eat in Italy, and then there was the pray that she went to India for, and then she, she found love in Indonesia. And so it's kind of a, 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 really, it was like a modern day book of Ecclesiastes, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a 12 chapter book in the Old Testament written by a man going through what I believe to be midlife crisis, and he is searching for meaning. And as he's searching for meaning in every different, several different locations, he records or journals his findings. This book, Eat, Pray, Love, is by a woman who is searching for the same thing. Again, her conclusions trouble me. I appreciated her journey, but I didn't like her destination. Because I don't think that true happiness is truly found in her destination. But it was her journey. But the story, I bring it up. Uh, for this simple reason. It raises the question, what does it take to live a happy life? If you ever do a research, even online research of what it takes to live a happy life, boy, you get all kinds of websites with all kinds of suggestions and recommendations. 12 steps, 14 steps, the top five steps, three major steps, all kinds of stuff by people who claim that they can help you to be happy. I read one 
uh, author, a sociologist, who noted that there are certain factors in life that correlate with happiness. And there are some factors that don't coordinate. For instance, factors that they say don't correlate with happiness include age. Age has little factor into whether or not a person is happy, sociologists say. Gender. It's not hard to find men who are unhappy, but men who are happy. It's not hard to find women who are unhappy, but also women who are happy. Parenthood. Intelligence. Physical attractiveness and money. Jesus tried to tell us this more than anything. Those things, sociologists say, according to surveys, are not correlated with happiness. Then they say there are factors that correlate moderately with happiness, and they include health, social activity, and religious faith. Moderately? Then they say there are factors that correlate strongly with happiness, and these include genetics, love and relationship satisfaction, and work satisfaction. I think that's really interesting. Paul had his own ideas, inspired by the Holy Spirit, ideas that that he contended contribute to happiness within the realm of Christian life. And, and he just rattles them off in these verses, verses 12 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to give you six or seven of those just in rapid fire form. What does it take within the Christian life to have a happy life? The first thing I think Paul would tell us is you got to know Christ. He goes back to something that I have mentioned in most of the sermons I preach from this Thessalonian series, and that is he's constantly referring to these people as brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. He does it again in verse 12, the opening part of this passage. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, why does he refer to them in this way? Why doesn't he say, ladies and gentlemen? Or why doesn't he say, fellow church members? Or why doesn't he say, by the way, you Thessalonian Christians? Why doesn't he say that? He calls them brothers and sisters. Why? Because he knows he's talking with believers in Christ. That is foundational to anything else that he is going to tell them, whether it's about the Lord's return, about the state of Christians who die, about credibility and reputation, or about uh, happiness within the realm of the Christian life. Foundational to all of that is a relationship with Christ. It is not possible, truly possible, to have the kind of happiness that God wants us to have apart from a relationship with Christ as a foundation. Brothers and sisters, know Christ. But that's not the only thing. I mean, that's enough to give us eternal life. That's enough to give us a home in heaven. That is foundational, and, and nothing else can replace that. But then he, he builds on top of that in terms of happiness within the Christian life. Second, he says, not only know Christ, but then work hard. Now, hear me, not work hard so that you have salvation. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about experiencing some semblance of happiness within the realm of the Christian life. Know Christ is first. And then he says, work hard. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. And then he goes on to say this in verse 14. He said, and we urge you, again, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. You remember what I said this morning? 
the Thessalonians thought that the Lord was coming back within a few days. They believed he was coming back before they died. They had some problems. One was some of their folks started dying. Uncle Jed died. You remember I said that this morning. But not only that, some of the other people thought, hey, if he's coming back in a few days, there's no point in me working, so they quit their jobs. And, but the Lord didn't come back in a few days, and he didn't come back in a few weeks. And so their money that they thought would never run out by the time the Lord came back started running out. Well, what did they do? They should have gone and gotten a job, but they still believed the Lord was coming back. So there's no point in going and getting another job. And so they, what they did, they went to their neighbor and they said, I need to borrow a cup of sugar from you. And if you would, add a dollar or two with it. And they started doing that habitually, chronically. And it became a problem in the Thessalonian church. You know, we have the same thing happen sometimes. We don't mind somebody coming who needs help, do we? We don't. We don't mind somebody who... Uh, we all fall upon hard times. I have, you have. I've, I've had a time in my life when I was without a job, scared the life out of me. Had it not been for close friends, I, I, I don't know what I'd have done because I'm a softie. I don't know how people live homeless. I guess you, you, you will do what you have to do, but I, I've never been homeless. I don't know how I would take it. I'll just be honest with you. The, the thought of living out on a sidewalk in the middle of January in Atlanta, Georgia, scares the life out of me. It does. So I'm a softie. But we all have had that situation where somebody would come up and they'd ask us for something. And we would help them. And they might come up another time and they truly need something and we help them. And then we find out that they have squandered stuff here and there. And they have spent frivolously here and there. And they have not made wise decisions here and there. And then they come up on more troubles and they come to you again. Well, this time you still may help them. But you're thinking, hmm. I don't know if I want to do this or not. And so you make a suggestion to them. You say, you know, I've been giving you fish for the last uh, 15, 20 years. This time I'd like to teach you how to fish. Well, that's going to make them mad. They don't want you to teach them how to fish. They want you to give them a fish. Not everybody. Some people. You know what I'm talking about. You've had that experience happen to you before. Paul says to these people, he said, hey, you need to work hard. You have a, a foundational layer, uh, that you're a foundation of, of a relationship with Christ, but now uh, you, you have a misunderstanding about the Lord's return. Yes, He may come at any time, but He may not come anytime soon. At the same time, we don't know when He's coming. If there's one thing that we know for sure about the second coming of the Lord, it is that we don't know for sure when it's going to happen. He told us that. But in the meantime, Paul says, work hard and acknowledge those who work hard among you. Third, help people. Help people. He says this in a, in a number of different ways. In the middle of verse uh, 13, he says, live in peace with each other. And then he says in the middle of verse 14, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with Everyone. In the middle of verse 15, do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So know Christ, number one. Number two, work hard. Number three, help people. This has been my experience and, and it's probably been yours too. If you have been 
on the receiving end of help. You appreciate those who have helped you. You appreciate those. I, uh, as you know, Amanda and the kids and I, Amanda and I, and Hillary now, been here a little over 11 years. And every Sunday I come in here in both services, and even in this service, and I look across this congregation, and I see people who have helped me. And you don't forget the folks who help you. At least I hope we don't. I know some folks do. But I don't want to ever forget the people who have been there for me. And I know you well enough to know that you feel the same way. Paul says, be the kind of person who is a helper of people, an encourager. Paul said in one place, he was talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he doesn't put this little gift with every list that he that he gives. There are four different uh, lists of spiritual gifts in the Scriptures. In, in one of them, he mentions the gift of helps. And if I'm understanding the gift of helps, it is a gift that certain people have. They just know what to say that helps you. I mean, they just know how to do it. When they say something, you can go a hundred miles on what they say because it nourishes you. It doesn't tear you down. It's not of a, of a criminal intent. It's not malicious in any way. It's not an offensive smart crack. It's not, a, it's not a, one of these type of compliments that compliments you in the front and stabs you in the back like some people seem to be gifted to do. I'm talking about people who have a gift of just being able to encourage you. And they just seem to do it naturally. It just pours out of them. Help people. Know Christ. Work hard. Help people. Number four, laugh often. Laugh often. Verse number 16. Rejoice always. Now, let me tell you what I don't believe Paul is saying here, and let me tell you what I do believe he's saying here. Number one, I don't believe that he's talking about going everywhere in this world wearing these little rose-colored and tinted glasses on and making out like every tragedy that strikes everybody is just sweet as sugar because you know that all things are going to work out good. I'm sorry, that makes me sick to my stomach. I heard somebody say the other day, somebody... Um, Somebody was uh, talking about a struggle they had, and the person with whom they were speaking gave them some little, uh, little short, cliched thing like you'd see on the front of a church marquee. And as, as uh, John reminds me he, about how much I love the things on church marquee, because some folks speak in bumper sticker. You know what I'm talking about? Some people speak in bumper sticker. And when they speak to me in bumper sticker, I want to kick them where their bumper sticker is. So I'm not talking about walking around with these rose-colored glasses on. What I am talking about is lighten up sometimes. Laugh a little bit. Not at something crude. 
and not telling something crude, but I mean lighten up, enjoy life, rejoice often. Every time I go down and see Jim Barfield, Jim Barfield reminds me that every time I laugh, it adds so many days to my life. Now, he has read that somewhere, and uh, whether it's scientific or not, I hear it is, but I don't know for sure. I haven't really done a whole lot of research on laughing, but I'll tell you what, I like to laugh. I enjoy it. I enjoy laughing with people. It does us good. People have gotten the idea from us Christians that it is somberness that characterizes most, that most characterizes Christians. Where in the world did we get that? If anybody ought to be laughing, if anybody ought to be enjoying life, if anybody ought to be rejoicing all the time, it ought to be you and me. Rejoice always. Laugh often. Number five. Pray hard. Pray hard. What does he say in verse 17? Pray continually. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that instead of eating breakfast, dinner, and supper, and instead of going to work, and instead of singing songs and preaching sermons, that what we really ought to be doing is spending 24-7, I mean a literal 60-minute hour, and a 24-hour day, and a 365-day year, every bit of it praying? I don't think that's what he means. And you and I better be glad. Because I've seen you, you won't do it. I've seen you. And you've seen me, I don't do it. I'll tell you what he is talking about, though. He's talking about walk with an attitude of prayer. Have, Have prayer close by in your heart. And when you pray, pray hard. I'll tell you what I'm guilty of. Praying like it doesn't matter. You ever pray like it doesn't really matter? Huh? Do you realize, I know you do, you realize it as much or more than I do. When we pray, it matters. When we pray... For someone to heal from the death of a son or a brother or a grandfather, it matters. When we pray for someone to be healed from a disease, they may or may not be healed from the disease, but our prayers matter. They matter. We are, we are in a sense, this is not totally correct, but it is correct enough for me to say it. In a, when we pray, we are turning the hands that turn not just the world, that's too small, the multiverse. Pray hard. Pray not only for for the prayer needs you know about, but folks, if there are serious prayer needs that you and I know about, think about the prayer needs that are so raw and intimate and personal and private that we don't know about them in our church. Let me tell you, we got families who are hurting. We got families that are on the verge of collapse. We've got, we've got uh, people who are struggling like they've never struggled before. Pray hard. Number six. This one's a toughie for me. Give thanks in every situation. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, you know what I'm going to say. 
If things are good, it's easy to give thanks. You know, ironically, when things are good, sometimes we forget to give thanks. And then when things are bad, we think, why would I give thanks for this? It just seems like we're an ungrateful people. But the fact of the matter is, God wants to cultivate in us, as uh, Brother Jeff Merritt said last Sunday night, an attitude of gratitude, one in which we are thankful when things are good, but we're also thankful in every other circumstance, including those circumstances that are not so good. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't you want to demand a hearing from Paul right there? Paul, stand up, show up. What do you mean all? I lost my house. Be thankful for that. What do you mean in all? Roger and Jane lost their son. What are you talking about? Be thankful in that. Edith lost her brother. The life of the part. Be thankful in that. Marriage is falling apart. Be thankful in that. Got a brother in prison for something that he did not do. Be thankful for that. Yeah. Find reason in every circumstance for gratitude. It's what I understand Paul to say. These are the things that contribute to happiness within the realm of the Christian life. Now, I've given you six of those. I want to give you one more that's not on the slides. You and I, if we want to experience full, the full extent of happiness that we can experience in life, in addition to these six things, there, there's one other thing in, in these verses that, that we've got to also put in place, and that is we must forgive those who have wronged us. We must forgive them. The reason I don't have this up there is because for some reason I didn't even see it until I was reading the passage today. There it is. I mean, there it is. It's so big. So big. Verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. How did I miss that? How did I miss that? You know what that means? Forgive the person is Paul asking me to forgive somebody when maybe they didn't do anything wrong? I just kind of misinterpret. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what he said. The person definitely did wrong. But make sure, he said, this is, he's saying this to the church. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for what? For being wronged. Wrong for wrong. What is it in us? Is it our sinful nature that just wants revenge? Is it our, is it our touchdown for touchdown mentality? Is it our, is it our three-pointer for three-pointer? Is it our, our, uh, uh, the balance sheets at the end of nine innings? Is that what it is? That, is it our sport mentality? Or what is it that just causes us to want to, when we've been wrong, to strike back in some way? Paul says, you can't do that and do church. Remember, he's talking to a church. You can't do that and do church. I don't have to tell you. You already know this. We joke about it, but it's really nothing to joke about. 
the biggest church planning program in the history of church is getting mad at somebody and leaving and starting another one. Tell me it ain't so. It is so. It is so. You know why? Because we'd rather move away from them than forgive them. And then we're wondering why all of our churches are struggling like we are. It's kind of like one guy told me one time, he was talking about the Georgia Baptist and Southern Baptist Convention while we're in the mess that we are in. He said, well, he said, you can't, you can't try to accomplish God's goals in an ungodly way. I said, wow. That's right. So forgive. That's a list of seven things. Maybe there are others. I'm sure there are. Paul didn't say this is all there are. This is an exhaustive list. No, but I'll tell you what, these seven things that he gave us, if we could kind of put those into habit, I think we'd be happier Christians. Lord knows the world needs some happier Christians. I think Palmetto Baptist could use some happier Christians. Hello? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, help us to be holier because that's what's most important to you and may it be also to us. In helping us to be holier, Lord, help us also to be happier if it is your will for us to be so at a given circumstance. I'm not assuming, Lord, that it is your will for us to be happy at all times. I'm not sure that when you were here, you were happy every single time you turned around. But I believe you had some happy times. And I guess that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for some happy, hopeful times for the people in this room right here. Because uh, we live in some difficult times and we could use a little hope, a little happiness, along with the holiness. So help us to get the holiness first. Lord, help us to look to your word and think about things like knowing you, working hard, being good to other people, helping them, forgiving people, praying hard. All those things that Paul lists. Lord, help them not to be just words on a page or content of a sermon but may they be the habits of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.